This is the After Party, live with Jim McAllister and John Daly. Hey, John Daly, what's going on? How's your on? mic going? I don't know. Does it sound better? I tried to, in between shows, boot, reboot and re, redo. I think you're good, and I think uh, Archie in the background is trying to destroy things for me. Well, I was trying to studio. fix my microphone and put the link in at the end of the Mark Thompson show, and it looks like oh, I man. I put the wrong link in. I put the link into something called the party and the after party and not the after party live. Kim, 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 we're a fledgling show. We need all the know, opportunities I to know. get the show launched. I, it's a failure, you know? Sometimes I'm just trying to do too much at one time, and bammo, there goes the mistakes. Sometimes or every day? Um, I would say it all. I would say that's often. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, too. It's good to see Governor Gavin Newsom actually acting as governor of the state for once and not flying all over the world. That's kind of cool. Well, Hawaii doesn't need to fly all over the state because everyone in the world is coming here, right? Oh, I see. Why have the photo op in China or in Israel when you can have the photo op here at home? Mm-hmm. He admitted that the walls were sparkled up and the streets were shined up in San Francisco. He said, yeah, of course. It's like when you have someone over to your house, you clean before you have visitors. It's what we do. He admitted right. that. They, you don't clean they... for the members of your family who live here every day and pay the bills. <laughs> no, he polished it all up. Yeah, that San Francisco got a facelift lift ahead of the Asian Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. And uh, yeah, he said that that did happen that uh, and we know that they did sweeps of homeless encampments. They seized carts from street food vendors who didn't have proper permits. They shut down some restaurants in Chinatown because of health code violations. So they really have tried to kind of clean up the city and make everything, you know, kind of not a, clean up the city, clean up the south of market area. Near yeah, this this very small Moscone area where convention center. And one thing on the, yeah. the food vendors, um, I've talked to some people that are, um, you know, in the uh, bar security business, mm-hmm. and they say that uh, there are food vendors all over the c- city, and most of them don't have permits. So this is all, it's all smoke and mirrors and BS. And the other thing is a lot of these people who are selling the hot dogs, they're like, they're like, um, they, they're like extorted for, like, they, they sh- the, the people go around shaking them down. And mm-hmm. so you'll have like rival hot dog gangs, basically. Oh and, my gosh! Uh, and then sometimes the security at, for a particular venue will tell these people to go away that they're not going to get any money from them. And there's a whole dark, you know, seedy underbelly of all this stuff. So there's the reality, and then there's like what you see on the news. We all know that. He does say right? that. Just to be clear, it wasn't just APEC that they do try to tidy up the city every single day, whether it's UN Plaza. The Tenderloin, the Department of Public Works employees are out there doing everything they can to keep the streets clean. He said we'll continue to do that throughout APEC as well. I have one word for that. Um, bullshit. No. <laughs> oh, we're swearing on the after party live. Wow. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're always cleaning up the Tenderloin and, and UN mm-hmm. Plaza. That's why it's covered in in, in urine and uh, needles every day. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. That's it's a little funny. bit of truth coming out. I was here. reading. I was reading this post by Joe Klosek, who's a comedian, uh-huh. and he used to be on the Chip Franklin show all the time. And he posted this thing. He said only in San Francisco, they had they. 
he said there were a bunch of people on the sidewalk and it was like they were watching this accident in slow motion with this man that was riding one of those scooters down the street yeah and he hit something right by a homeless encampment and on one side where he could have fallen was a pile of feces and on the other side was a pile of needles and he had to make this split second decision like which way do you leap off like do you leap off toward the poo side or the needle side and he leapt off toward the poo side and he said because at least i could wash that off so he and then the the man stood up and yelled to the people i chose the poo (laughs) like he (laughs) chose that that, that's where he chosen to fall man i don't think uh, gavin got any poo on his uh, designer jeans there so it's it's no. nice that that he's risking he's risking his uh, designer jeans. For, he you know, looks for good the in sportswear and a suit. He looks good in everything. Um, we have a story <laughs> of firefighters hoisting. Speaking of uh, getting something out of the wrong place, uh, hoisting a horse out of a California canal. Oh yeah, this is really interesting. This story uh, involves a strap and a crane to hoist a horse that fell into a canal and got stranded. Look at this that is an guy. operation. What he has here Beautiful. is a situation. This happened in the river city of Riverside. This horse apparently fell into the Gage Canal, which is right off Jackson Street. You know, they decided is. exactly they um they had to sedate the animal because this is a very stressful operation apparently to do this. So they had to call a veterinarian out. The horse was sedated. They put straps on it. Then they had to use a crane to lift the horse up out of the water. Once the animal was back on the ground, he was treated by the vet, eventually released back to the owner. They were both uh, pleased to be back on dry land and everything was okay. So I guess there's no like graduated, you, you know. It doesn't look that deep. I don't know what four feet deep, depending on how tall that horse is. Yeah, I guess there was no way they were going to get the deep. horse to like jump out. No, yeah. you'd think a horse would be able to do that, but I guess they had to do this whole thing. So they're not good, the most I, graceful steppers. No. Hmm. Well, maybe they should put little, you know, steps every so often. So if someone falls in, they and all the canals for all the horses. Out. Yeah, in case they. <laughs> People fall in or creatures fall in. I don't know. Oh, here he is getting out. Look at that. Wow. They really went to a lot of trouble. That's cool. Yeah. This um, animals. This next Mm. story is about an emu named Rodney. Uh, (laughs) I don't know if he's selling car insurance, but he escaped from his home over in England and was caught on doorbell camera investigating an elderly neighbor's front door. Maureen Roberts, 81, said she was out to lunch with her daughter when she received an alert from the doorbell camera at her home in Luce. Kent, that's appropriate name city for being on the loose. My dog was at home in the front room at the time, she told Sky News. I don't know what he would have thought just seeing a giant bird like that. Robert said her neighbor had told her there was an emu on the loose in the area, but she thought it was a joke until she saw the video. The video shows on the loose. (laughs) And where's where's Doug? Uh, The video shows a group of people (laughs) approach Rodney and lead him away. And are you ready for it? I've got video. Let's check out the emu at the door. Who is? And who knew emus Ding whistle? Dong. Candy Graham. Amazon. <laughs> Land shark. I've got your Uber Eats. Oh, and oh. there he's being led away. <laughs> does not sound happy. That is not a happy emu sound. Yeah, I didn't know that was wow. the sound that emus make. They make like a whistling noise, apparently. Yeah. Or at least when they're at the front door. This next cool. story kind of broke my heart. 
This is about Flocko the Owl. Flocko. Flocko. Flocko the Owl. He's a Eurasian Eagle Owl. That's a pretty And owl. he has been living in New York City's Central Park since he escaped from the Central Park Zoo in February. But apparently, he's been now flying around checking out some new neighborhoods. He was <laughs> he's spotted to, on Monday. He's, he's, he's looking, looking to level up. He, well, he's looking for a mate, they think. He's flying around looking yeah. for a mate. And so he was in the East Village, about five miles from where he usually hangs out. Then, a couple of days later, someone posted Flocko uh, perched on an air conditioner and on the Lower East Side. The skyline, the city skyline in the background... What they think is that Flocko, the Eurasian eagle owl, left Central Park in search of a mate because it's the time of year when these owls look to pair up. But his hoots have gone unanswered for a long time now because he's unaware there are no mates for him in this region. He won't encounter any of his own kind in the wild on this side of the world. I thought you were going to say it's a sausage fest. No ladies. No, Eurasian, e- Eurasian <laughs> eagle owls live in Asia, Europe, and parts of Africa. There aren't any here. He's alone. So his search for a mate is futile. And there he is flying around from the city, parts of the city, hooting and looking, and Flocko is not going to find a love. Oh. I know. They need to I find know. Flocko some love. I think so. They need to give him a partner there. So sad. Yeah, so sad. there's Flocko. Flocko the loveless owl. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for that. Thanks for that. Uh, let's go kind of off into let's this? go off into space. Let's please. Um, lost in space, a hundred thousand dollar tool bag from NASA Spacewalk. Did you hear about this? Only because you told me, and this is nuts. Every construction worker who has ever accidentally left their tools at their work site now has something in common with NASA <laughs> astronauts who lost a tool bag worth $100,000 during a spacewalk on November 1st, according to NASA. The white satchel, which can now be seen orbiting the Earth with a telescope or a good pair of binoculars, is hovering about 200 miles above the planet. The bag eluded astronauts Jasmine Mogbelli and Laurel O'Hara during a maintenance spacewalk on the International Space Station. Uh, the astronomy website Earth Sky said the tool bag, which is orbiting the sky just ahead of the space station, is shining just below the limit of visibility to the unaided eye, where it could be seen with minimal help. For those worried about the tools falling on someone's head on Earth, experts said there's no mm. chance of that happening. The tool bag is expected to re- remain in orbit for a few more months, where it is expected to descend uh, and promptly disintegrate into the Earth's atmosphere. I thought maybe Jeff Bezos would send a rocket up and get two-day delivery. Talk about burning money. There you go. <laughs> hundred grand. Tool, Poof. The tool bag uh, should meet its fiery fate around March, according to Earth Sky. In the meantime, the tool bag has been officially cataloged as Space Junk ID number 582291998067WC. <laughs> it's kind of disturbing that the uh, ID numbers are that long. Um, it I wonder was, if they get in trouble for that. Like, I wonder if the, the astronauts. They're not going to get their deposit behind. back. It's like, they're like, you know what? We got to take uh, something out of your paycheck. That's yeah. too much. Uh, no. Sorry, no references for you. It was seen Sunday by a Japanese astronaut floating over Mount Fuji. That's pretty crazy. What? It was seen by a, a floating over Mount Fuji. You mean in space, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like over it. The space is above Mount Fuji. <laughs> There's that's, a story. That's your breakdown for today. <laughs> There's a story about this virus. One virus is being observed 
sucking on another virus's neck. Are they? In I high don't know school? if you could say they're kissing, like necking, or if they're like you know trying to kill each other, feasting on another, like Dracula sucking the blood out of the other one. But it's a first for the first time. Time scientists observing one virus attaching itself to another virus. They saw it under an electron microscope in stunning detail. And now they're thinking this may be how viruses co-evolve. It's all published in the Journal of the International Society of Microbial Ecology. Oh, that's my the favorite. The viruses, I, I often read that in my free time. The viruses in the study are both categorized as bacteriophages. This is a group of viruses that are known to infect bacteria. Bacteriophages also infect... Well, the bacteria single- had it coming. It's true. The bacteria caught a bug. The bacteriophages infect single-celled prokaryotic organisms known as archaea. They are called phages. All right. So that's very sciencey. But the one in purple here, apparently they depend on both their host organism, probably us, and another virus known as a helper to complete their life cycle. The satellite virus, the pink guy or the, the lavender guy, uh, depends on the helper virus to build the protective shell that covers its genetic It's like material. a virus intern? I guess so. They're all helping each other. They're like feeding off of each other. So the helper has to be close to uh, the other one for a little while. But there were no known cases of satellite viruses actually attaching to the helper until this discovery. Scientists are very excited about this discovery. When I saw it, I was like, I can't believe this, said the co-author study at the University of Maryland. No one has ever seen a bacteriophage or any other virus attached to another virus. We've never never seen seen anything anything like this. this. (laughs) Exactly. Um, They named the little one Mini Flare and the helper Mind Flare. So we're... Oh, was that Archie mewing in the background? So now we have more of an idea on how these things work. Yeah, Archie is concerned about these helper viruses. We don't need Mm -hmm. we don't need that. Um, We have this next story is about hummingbirds. Um, You you grab this for us. Uh, Scientists want to learn the secrets to hummingbirds' remarkable agility. Right. So tests Mm -hmm. exploring how birds navigate gaps smaller than their wingspan have shed light on their amazing abilities. When it comes to mind-bending aerial maneuvers, it turns out hummingbirds can give Top Gun's Maverick a run for his money. Researchers mm. have discovered that the dis- demu- diminutive creatures have two different strategies that can deploy to squeeze through gaps that are smaller than their wingspan. Experts say the findings shed light on the long-standing conundrum of how hummingbirds in the wild manage to pass through dense foliage and reach nectar-rich flowers or tasty insects, despite being unable to tuck their wings in like other birds. And are you ready for the video? Yes. You're going to see a hummingbird. Uh, this two, there's two uh, shots here. The first one is the hummingbird trying to get through a hole one way. And then the second, uh, we'll describe it, is uh, the hummingbird trying to get through the hole a different way. Check this out. So the first one, it's going to flap its wings back and then pause the flapping to just kind of float through. Right? Pretty cool. They call that the bullet. They shoot through yeah. like a bullet. And then the second one, the second strategy, it's going to swivel its body to fly sideways through the gap. Right there. Do you see, like, get the one wing in, then the body, then the other wing. Pretty cool. Right? Yep. I love it. I mean, it shows how <laughs> agile they are, how they can, you know, navigate different shapes and different, you know, obstacles put before their path. Yeah. 
Um, experts say the findings shed light on the longstanding... Uh, I already read that. A lot of people think of <laughs> hummingbirds as being very fast, very maneuverable, but these amazing abilities are in the open space uh, where we see them. They're just the tip yeah. of the iceberg, right? There's other maneuvers. Each flower, um, when they uh, use flake flowers to test them out, each flower only refilled with nectar when the bird visited the other flower, resulting in the birds flying back and forth between them. Researchers yeah. then separate flowers with one of seven different partitions featuring a circular or oval aperture, and the height and width uh, varied from um, uh, from the same size of the wingspan of the birds to half that distance. The researchers presented each of the seven apertures to each hummingbird 10 times and recorded them, making two trips between the flowers each time, resulting in 140 film trials per bird. These people have a lot of time on their hands. These recordings well, reveal that the posture, the posture of the birds <laughs> as they flew through the apertures fell on a spectrum between two very different poses. In one example, like we sh showed you, the birds swept their wings back, and, and that's the bullet. And then the other, it's the slower approach where they roll their body. That, I think that's pretty yeah. cool. So thanks for I, that that's story, That's really Kim. cool. Yeah, thanks yeah. for sending in that story, Kim Callister. Yeah, you're welcome, Putnam John Online. Daly. Here's a story for me, especially this holiday season. It's going to be, I'm going to try to, you know, people don't need stuff, a lot of right. stuff, right? You need food, shelter, you know, and maybe YouTube contributions. You, you've been needing for a while or some one nice little thing, but maybe some not, coffee. Like, my mom, some coffee. My mom will put just stuff in stockings and it, and I don't need it. And, and, and a lot of it ends up, you know, not being used. And I don't know. The, this is a story about wondering why you overspend. Well, a financial therapist reveals how sadness and anger cause us to splurge on new pur pur purchases. Pur 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 purchases. So they pur say remix. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Redo, don't spend. <laughs> Hunger, loneliness, fatigue, stress, and sadness all affect our financial decisions. Do you find that? Or do you, when you need something, you just go buy it? You don't spend because you're sad, do you? Uh, no, but I'm not a big, like, spender Shopper. of you know, yeah. going shopping so yeah. uh, most stuff is like amazon and um cat food people apparently studies have found that people being sad makes them vulnerable to overspending and as the holiday season approaches us consumers are advised pause and reflect right uh, they say financial decision-making is sometimes associated with level-headedness and calculation, but sadness, anger, fear, they all have a very, very powerful effect on our wallet. Years of academic research suggesting people who are sad are likely to spend more while anxious people tend to avoid risk. Never, they say, never make a financial decision if you're hungry, if you're angry, if you're lonely or tired. I can vouch for hungry. I can't go to go into a grocery store hungry. I so, walk out with all kinds of stuff I don't eat. So can Al Anonymous. A sad event plus self-focus is why I just spent $33 for a La Vix Super Burrito delivery, I guess. <laughs> I guess that's why. Yeah. No. Uh, they say there's no blanket rules, but negative emotions are widely associated with poor choices. So that can mean overspending as well as the opposite, uh, which is financial starvation. So maybe, you know, you're denying yourself as well. Boredom also enhances spending, says Kim. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's good to know that so that before you click spend, you know, buy, this item, just think to yourself, take a moment. Am I buying this because I need it? Am I buying right. this because the person wants it? Or am I buying it because I'm somehow trying to make myself feel better in my sadness? Like I'm more you know, about yeah. um, 
experiences. So I'd rather, mm-hmm. you know, like obviously pay for save up and then pay for travel. But if I am in a store, I have noticed like once you get one or two deals, and it's all psychological, then for me it becomes like the hunt. Uh-huh. And it's like, what else can I get? What else can I get for a deal? What other you know? big bargains can I have? Yeah. That's the so whole you're at Black TJ Maxx with like 10 yeah. items and you don't have a basket because you went in for one thing and you're walking out no. spending $100. But that's yeah. what they want, right? That's what they encourage. I was being that's a good American. They do. So let's talk about, speaking of Flocko the Owl, are oh, you Flocko. <laughs> are you an early bird or a nope. night owl? Nope, not an early bird. No. That's why I have the I'm, coffee in hand. I'm definitely a night owl. But you're like both because you're forced to be. Yeah, it's true. So you don't sleep. I'm not willing to go that far. Timing mm-hmm. is everything for early risers and late night uh, nighters alike. Listening to your internal clock may be the key to success from the classroom to the courtroom and beyond. People perform mm. best on challenging tasks at a time of day that aligns with their circadian rhythm. Yeah, I do believe that because I, I am much more functional later in the day. I uh, I really should be hosting this show later in the day when my brain's Three working. Three or four o'clock is like my peak. <laughs> yeah. Circadian rhythms are powerful internal timekeepers uh, that we know uh, mm-hmm. uh, that drive a person's physiological and intellectual functioning throughout the day. Peaks in their circadian rhythms vary across individuals. Some people known as larks or morning chronotypes um, peak early and feel their best in the morning. Others known as owls or even chronotypes peak later in the day and perform best in the late afternoon yeah. like Kim or in the evening. And some people show neither morning nor evening preferences, and are considered um, communists? <laughs> no. no. Uh, uh, they're considered <laughs> neutral chronotypes. Uh, as a researcher seeking uh, ways to improve cognitive function, they've explored whether your chronotype affects your mental performance. Understanding the kinds of mental processes that vary or remain stable over the course of the day may help people schedule their tasks in a way that optimizes performance. Um, they say, we're not going to go into all the details here, but the mm-hmm. chronotype matters because it, it can be measured with a simple questionnaire that assesses things like perceived alertness, preferred rising and retiring times and performance throughout the day. Even without the questionnaire, most people have a sense of whether they are a lark or an owl or fall somewhere in between. Do you wake up early without an alarm feeling sharp? Nope. Uh, are you mentally drained and ready for PJs by nine? Nope. <laughs> if so, you're likely morning type. Do you sleep late? And uh, wake feeling sluggish and foggy. Yes. Are you more energized late at night? Yes. If so, you're likely an evening type. People perform best on many challenging mental tasks from paying attention and learning to solving problems and making complex decisions when these actions are synchronized with their personal circadian rhythms. This is known Mm -hmm. as the synchrony effect. This is why it was very difficult for me to work on the morning show. Oh, yeah. Because we had I had to get up at 430 in the morning. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. And then drive an hour into the city. That was it was the always worst. hard for me to wake up, but once I'm up, I'm up. And so yeah. I could do pretty well, I think, twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Although there there are moments where, you know, when toward the end when I get pretty tired and groggy. And unfortunately for me, that's often when I try to do everything. So anyway. Yeah. 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 Um let's talk Too many about things this. At once. It's true. Let's talk about this story. This is going to bring the party down, but I thought it was interesting. Well, you already did that the, earlier. Flocko. Poor Flocko. Depressing stories. Watch for these guys coming. Uh, the drivers of boxy SUVs. Oh, oh. I thought you No, not those first. guys. Not those guys. Uh-uh. Boxy, boxy SUVs and pickup trucks. Apparently, they're more likely to kill pedestrians. The study people are back. They say 
big trucks and SUVs, especially the kind with flat front ends, are genuinely deadlier for pedestrians, according to research. It's not done. trucks and SUVs that kill people. It's people that kill people. It's people that kill people. But right, we learned that with, from the guns. If you're hit with one of these things, you're more likely to croak, I guess. This is from the Insurance Institute for Highway Safety. They looked at records of 18,000 incidents in which a vehicle hit a pedestrian. And they found that vehicles with grill areas that were 40 inches tall or higher were 40. <laughs> 45% are you laughing at death are 45 <laughs> laugh in the face no, of like, death it has to do with like how big uh how big the uh the, the front grill is, grill is. smash into you that's right 40 inches tall or higher are 45% more likely to kill a pedestrian that they might hit. The tall front ends are common among full-size trucks and SUVs, but they're not exclusive to very big vehicles. The Jeep Renegade, a compact SUV, also has a very boxy front end with the front end of its hood more than 40 inches off the ground. An urban assault vehicle, really. That's <laughs> what it is. It's like, if it's going to be you or me, it's going to be me. Doug, $10 super sticker. Oh, that's so nice, Doug. Thank you for Thank that. You, that's so kind. Thanks course, for not running guys, over, Kim. You know the crow, the crow. The show is crowdfunded, so we really appreciate when you guys crows are also us like crowdfunded. That they, are they worms? That's and, so good. Yeah, worms and bugs. They say even when the hood isn't that high, a boxy front end with a grill that's nearly vertical and a hood that goes almost straight out from the windshield is more likely to cause death or serious injury to a pedestrian. In general, vehicles with box-shaped front ends, even when they're only medium height, are 26% more likely to kill a pedestrian. Wait, don't you have one of those? Like the small mm -hmm. SUV? I ha have I you measured your grill, Kim? I have a, I'm going to go out and do it. I have a mid-size SUV. I have a high. You have a medium people people mm -hmm. killer. Yeah, I guess so. It's a good thing I haven't hit anybody. Do you think the car wood. designers are like, hmm, is this mm -hmm. enough grill area to take someone out? Well, I don't know, but it's uh, interesting. I think as a pedestrian, if I was somebody walking around in a heavily traveled area, I would watch for those things coming and know yeah. that. If, if one of those well, you said is... boxy vehicles, which is why I watch out for the Muni buses. Oh. We call them urban uh, assault vehicles as well. <laughs> urban assault vehicles. Yeah. yeah. That's why right. a lot of the reserved uh, Muni lanes in San Francisco, they paint them red, right? Because you're not supposed yeah. to drive in them. And right. we always joke that the, it's, it's the blood of uh, prior victims. Oh, gross. A little morbid. Sorry. Let's talk about, let's bring the party up and let's talk about um, some really coveted careers. Yeah, this person, uh, this is oh, in the Wall Street Journal. But before we do that, Alnonymous <gasps> for $10. He wants to know where my weed smoker's at. Thank you, Alnonymous. I think they're at the Mark Thompson show. Thank you, Alnonymous. They're a little slow. You, they just started replaying the Mark Thompson show. You guys are awesome. Yeah. That's where your weed smokers mm. are. Um, this article is, is profiling somebody. I'm not going to tell you yet what she does. I want you to guess. Um, she okay. charges $550 for 90 minutes. That's almost the price of a, an attorney, a high-priced attorney. Is it a masseuse? No. A really good masseuse? And she has a wait list of 7,600 people. It's $550 for an hour and a half? For an hour and a half, mm -hmm. there's a wait list of 7,600 people. I'm going to wait to see if anybody can guess what this individual does for a living that would get $550. Jim Liu says closet organizer. No. Is it, a, is it a, a plastic, an esthetician or a plastic Square surgeon? Square says palm reader. I think we have to give Square credit. 
Oh, okay. She is a pet psychic. Oh. So a paw I, reader. Pe- people really do that? Get it? A paw reader? Yeah. She's paw, a paw reader. Palm. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tech worker and part-time dog trainer Maddie Guy, 33, couldn't figure out what was going on with her English Springer, Springer Spaniel, Rudder. He was being snippy and other do- uh, around other dogs and facing a medical issue so mysterious that every test had been run on the, and a doggy MRI was ordered. Comfort came in the form of a birthday present from friends, a phone session, this isn't even in person, with an animal communicator. Jesus Christ. Guy who lives in Chicago <laughs> says the communicator, well, I didn't know dogs could use the phone, while looking at a picture of Rudder, began talking with the dog. Oh, so they're like not even in the same place. She informed Guy that Rudder was being cautious with other dogs because he wasn't sure if he could trust his front legs in the event the dog wasn't friendly. Several months later, Rudder's front legs started wobbling and his eyes looked goofy. Guy remembered that conversation. She called the vet, shared what she had been said, and requested a neuroconsult. The vet wasn't phased, saying other clients had referenced animal communicators before. Rudder is now on a seizure medication. Um, I've told a lot of people about my experience, says Guy, and the most common response I get is, oh, wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> you know what that's code for? You're, you're crazy. You're batshit crazy, lady. <laughs> that is the second time you have sworn on the After Party Live. Hey, we already demonetized. Some shows demonetize because they want to talk about important politics. Uh, we just uh, speak the truth here. We're I'm sorry. In a mood today, but really, $550 for you to say some generic crap uh, about a dog, which is going to be interpreted as being relevant. Oh, oh, there's something with the legs. So I once had a pet sitter on a morning show I was doing in radio in Sacramento. A pet, not a pet sitter, a pet psychic. Oh, and okay. this woman came in, and you would not believe the response. The phones were crazy. People were calling to try to talk to her. I think people really, you know, we, we really love our animals in our lives, right? You right. totally love Archie. So if you thought legitimately that there was a way to communicate with him, to tell him what you're feeling, to tell him what makes you upset when he does it. We do communicate every day. Feeling, he looks at me and it's like, meat. Food? Now. <laughs> and then it's like, I love you for giving me meat. Let's cuddle. So here's another job. This is the new job in New York. They have appointed the state's first loneliness ambassador. Oh, that sounds yeah. like an interesting position. Who and would be the perfect a... person? Remember sex therapist Dr. Ruth Westheimer? Yeah, that's baby. Right. That's right. Dr. Ruth has a new job. She is New York State's honorary ambassador to loneliness. She's it probably the... worth five fifty every nine minutes. I'd say minutes. so. Yes, it's the first of its kind role in the nation. Are you ice? Is that iced coffee? I can hear you rattling stuff around. Yes, yeah, sorry. It's uh, an americano. Iced americano. <laughs> is that what you're doing? Uh, a, the yeah. governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, appointed Dr. Ruth. Uh, They're trying to help New Yorkers with social isolation, which is associated with physical and mental health issues like cardiovascular disease, depression, earlier death. Uh, They've described the prevalence of loneliness and isolation as a national epidemic. And actually, you would think maybe it would be seniors or shut-ins. No, it's among all people. Apparently, Heather, she is still alive. Yes. Hallelujah, Westheimer said in a news release. I don't know if I can do her accent. I am deeply honored and promised. 
I'm deeply honored and promised that the governor uh, the, and promised the governor that I will work day and night to help New Yorkers feel less lonely. Uh, so uh, I, I think this is really nice that they're trying to take care of people. She's a psychosexual therapist. She's written 37 oh, books. <laughs> she's not psycho. Like she's mm, not psychosexual. Psychotic. Okay. No, it's like, she, you know, she's getting, psycho getting and she's brain. sexual. Yeah. You know, uh, she left Germany at age 10 because she lost yeah. her family in the, ho- in the Holocaust. Oh. And she, um, became, she came to America she is, she was, well, last year, she was 95. She and 96. she's the one that suggested of being an ambassador to provide advice on loneliness and isolation. So the governor said, fine, come on and do it. Well, she can't run for president. Because she's a foreign born, right? Yeah, not because might she's 96, well be the, but because she's foreign born. <laughs> might as well be the loneliness ambassador. So there you go. Yeah, Dr. Kim Ruth. says uh, all that sex has kept her alive. That right? That's well, we know we had that story last week. Was it last week where they say having sex? I don't know how many times a week, getting those juices flowing keeps your memory, you know, sharper for longer. Well, apparently, you're not following the advice because you don't remember how many times. <laughs> apparently, I need to get it on a little more. <laughs> wow, uh, get it on. Speaking of getting help, AI, and then we'll take a break. AI could predict heart attack risk up to 10 years in the future. According to the Oxford study, the Oxford study people, they're really good. Researchers say more accurate analysis of cardiac CT scans could save thousands of lives and improve treatments. This is where AI can be useful, not Mm -hmm. for, you know, fake content. Uh, AI could be used to predict if a person is at risk of having a heart attack, like I said, up to 10 years in the future. The technology could save thousands of lives while improving treatment for almost half of patients. The study funded by the British Heart Foundation looked at how AI might improve the accuracy of cardiac CT scans, which are used to detect blockages or narrowing, right? So if you can figure out that there's a narrowing, right? You figure it out in advance, wait, you know, instead of waiting to have a heart attack, right? Get, do something now. Our study found that some patients presenting in hospital with, in hospital with chest pain who are often reassured and sent back home are at high risk of having a heart attack in the next decade, even the absence of any sign of the disease in their heart arteries. Here we have demonstrated that providing an accurate picture of risk to clinicians can alter and potentially improve the course of treatment for many heart patients. About 350,000 people in the UK have a CT scan each year, but according to the, the Heart Foundation, many patients later die of heart attacks due to the failure uh, in picking up small, undetectable narrowings. Researchers analyzed the data of more than 40,000 patients undergoing routine uh, CT scans at eight hospitals. Uh, the AI tool was tested on a further almost 3,400 patients over eight years, and was able to accurately predict the risk of heart attack. AI-generated risk scores were then presented to medics for 744 patients, with 45% having their treatment plans altered. Isn't that crazy? So that really 45% is. of the records that were gone over by AI uh, resulted in the treatment plan being altered. That's that- pretty cool. What's interesting is I was talking to Robert Scoble the other day on Mark Thompson's show, and he said that he was speaking with a doctor that said in the near future, it will be considered malpractice for doctors not to use AI to double check their work. They catch that many mistakes and they see that many things on x-rays and all kinds of stuff. So, I mean, 
maybe it does have a place in our society. I don't think it has every place. Yeah. You know, I don't think we want to replace us doing everything, but for things that human that that there's human error involved in things and it, that are hard to detect life yeah. or death difference, then yeah, why not use all the tools we can, right? Like if you could have an AI force talk show hosts to like take their breaks on time and you know this might be a good thing. get to guests at the right time, that would be a good use of AI. Oh, when we'll be right we back. Come back, we'll talk about um we have Travel Tuesday coming up, which is really exciting. And we have an update on that movie. Remember I told you about that movie, Coyote versus Acme, that the oh, Warner yeah, yeah. Brothers company was just going to put on the shelf and leave there? Yeah. Update yeah. on that. That's right after we come back from a 30-second break on The After Party Live. The After Party Live is underwritten by our audience. And without you, this show wouldn't be possible. If you can contribute $10, $15, or $20 a month, it would keep this party a rockin'. The PayPal link can be found in the About section of the YouTube channel or at the bottom of the show description. Any dollar amount is appreciated and it all adds up. On behalf of Kim and myself, thank you for your consideration. Aloha, bitches. It's the After Party Live. Huge, huge big thank you to new contributor Sue Ellen H. Welcome to the After Party Live. Thank you, Sue Ellen. And thank you to ongoing contributors Rachel C., Donald S., and Square as well. Um, thank and I you. do want to thank Anonymous for a $10 super sticker and Doug as well for the $10 super sticker. You guys who help keep this show going and, uh, you know, bring us back on day after day, so appreciate you. Yeah, every day when I'm working on the, the you know, preparing, preparing for the show, and I think, are there going to be any ongoing? Uh, let's talk about Coyote versus Acme. This movie, they made it, they spent a boatload of money on it. And then the Warner Brothers was having some, you know, their accountants looked at it, said, yeah, we have some tax issues. Let's just put this one on the shelf and write it off, right? Even after, apparently, it got good reviews. Well, now they've ch uh, changed course. Apparently, meet me. Yes, the studio will now allow the director, Dave Green, to shop this live action animation hybrid movie to other potential buyers instead of shelving the project for a tax write off. This, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Amazon said to be a contender in the mix. Screenings for potential buyers taking place this month. The move days after Hollywood Reporter broke the news that Coyote vs. Acme would become Warner's third allegedly already shot film to get shelved after apparently they are they they, they also shelved these complete completed projects Batgirl it's on the shelf never to be seen and Scoob Holiday Haunt that's on the shelf never to be seen Scoob I think, Scoob I think I could leave Scoob on the shelf Batgirl they you know that was kind of a bummer I guess but the Coyote cancellation really made a lot of people in the creative community really really upset even more than batgirl and scoob you don't want to mess those, with the roadrunner the roadrunner always wins maybe, out at the end those have been positioned as a one-off change in strategy never to happen again the coyote versus acme though is a whole different thing so now that it could find a new home the filmmakers they say are, are taking this kind of wait and see approach so maybe we will get to see coyote acme after all yeah, we're waiting a, for it. I know you were holding your breath for this one. That potentially yeah. sounds good, or it could be bad. Yeah. Who knows? Mm. Well, you're saying reviewers said it was good, though, right? People said it was good in the testing. Yeah. You know. Um, speaking of not so good, <laughs> Lauren Sanchez and Jeff <laughs> Bezos are all over the internet again for their uncomfortable and quote cringe new vote, uh, Vogue photo shoot. 
which has been slammed by online critics. Are you ready for oh. it? Oh, my. <laughs> the high fashion magazine shared several snaps from the couple's appearance in their December issue with one of the photos featuring Sanchez leaning over to hug Bezos in a Western-themed uh, shootout. Uh, the lovebird sat in the front seat of a retro van while Be- Bezos wore a brown cowboy hat, black T-shirt, and blue jeans while Sanchez flaunted her arm muscles in a tight white tank. This mm. is so weird. Unfortunately, uh, for the Amazon founder, 59, and fiance, 53, several users were, of, uh, were not fans of the looks or the fact that Vogue was glamorizing the billionaire. Um yeah, I don't know. It's it's kind of tacky, right? Don't you it's think? weird. It's very strange. I don't know. There, whatever. Check out this one. Like, what is what, what, what's going on here? What is that? Like in a clock tower? It's hmm. in some kind of yeah mechanical yeah. tower. Uh, I'm, I people often were posting... wear my red long silk dress in the clock tower on the stairs. The, the, this is some of the feedback they were getting. Uh, I've never been more uncomfortable with a photo. A ridiculous photograph. Halloween is over. Uh, this is the number one most cringe post I've ever seen unfollowing. This is weird as F L M A F O. Um, fa- uh, fans also commented on the Western vibe of the photo shoot, joking that Bezos was stealing Kenny Chesney's stylus and comparing him to Tim McGraw. <laughs> Others wondered why Vogue included Bezos and Sanchez in the first place. This is several degrees of effing weird and definitely not Vogue in any description. And I'm being very kind. One person chimed in. I wish Instagram had a filter to let me block out any billionaire PR content. And somebody else said, I've been shown this picture against my will. Um, <laughs> I think we should refrain from superhero, f- superhero-fying and glamorizing billionaires who build their wealth by exploiting and overworking their notoriously underpaid employees. No amount of PR can make either of these people likable. Idgeball, Idgeball alert. No? Yeah. And what, another person said something that <laughs> it was not very kind. They said that um, she kind of looked like um, Steven Tyler. Uh, uh, okay. I just feel like, why do they need an album cover? You know, is it a PR thing? Are they trying to be somehow more likable? Yeah, or is he trying to look fi- tough there? Because he kind of looks sad. Seem more glamorous? He's like, uh, check out my bicep, dude. Paid a lot of money for this. Work out a lot. And that's the thing. Maybe they paid money to have Vogue or whatever magazine put them on the cover. Or well, when you get to that point, put them in. Yeah, you know? when you get to that point, you don't... Celebrities stop paying for things. They don't... They just get whatever they want because people want their mm-hmm. attention and their influence right guess what time it is oh no is it travel mm-hmm. tuesday it's time for tuesday's travel news we got three stories let's check it out <laughs> <laughs> uh our first story is going to be of course uh thanksgiving related uh as soon as i can find the photo here uh and uh yeah here this is worth the wait right oh now. look at that yeah yeah thanksgiving travel tips the best and worst days to fly do you ever fly for thanksgiving no, because my, well, most of my family's here. Oh, yeah, same here. Yeah. AAA projects 4.7 million travelers will, f- will fly over Thanksgiving, a 6.6% inc- uh, increase from last year. This would mark the highest number of people flying for uh, Thanksgiving since 2005. Okay, the busiest and most expensive days to fly before Thanksgiving will be Tuesday. So that's November 21st and Wednesday, November 22nd. So that's Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, mm-hmm. the two days prior to Thanksgiving. So if you want to get flights that aren't that expensive, if you haven't already, um, avoid those days. The best day to go to the airport for Thanksgiving is Monday, Monday, November 20th, when flights will be 12% cheaper than on the 22nd, which is Wednesday. That's according to Expedia. The Transportation Security Administration said it expects to screen 30 million passengers during its Thanksgiving travel period, which runs from November 17th to 28th. 
that's the other reason you don't want to go on those busy days, right? You have to go through all the security and the lines are going to be crazy. Uh, TSA says, we expect this holiday season to be our busiest ever. In uh, 2023, we have already seen seven of the top 10 busiest travel days in TSA's history. Uh, we are ready for the anticipated volumes and working closely with our airline and airport partners to make sure we're prepared. We also do our best to maintain wait time standards of under 10 minutes for TSA pre-check lanes and uh, under 30 minutes for standard screening lanes. Yeah, good luck That's with that. Good news if you're traveling. Although, if Congress doesn't do something to fund America, basically, right. there could be trouble in the aircraft traffic control tower. So, you yeah. know, federal employees will be affected. So if you're uh, looking for the cheapest days to return home, it's Friday, November 24th, or Monday, November 27th. Um, United Airlines expects to have its busiest Thanksgiving ever with over 5.9 million passengers. That's a 13% increase from last year. Um, They anticipate that Sunday will be one of its busiest days since before the pandemic with more than 517,000 people expected to fly. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I've um, driven a lot on Thanksgiving. Like, we'll drive to see my dad in Oregon or yeah. to Disneyland. We've driven to Disneyland before. Yeah. So. And cool. last thing here I'll mention, due to remote work, United said its holiday travel period has extended. United said the demand for flying hmm. the Monday before Thanksgiving is nearly up 10% from 2019, while f- demand for flying the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is up only 3%. So hmm. people have a little more flexibility, which yeah, I guess that cool. makes sense, right? Well, one place I've always wanted to travel and never mm-hmm. have is that blue lagoon in Iceland. I've seen pictures of it. I mean, it's like white blue. It's so beautiful. Apparently, they had to shut it down because of a potential danger due to a volcanic eruption. Right? The blue lagoon, they had to temporarily close it until Thursday because of this volcanic eruption that could happen at any moment. This is a popular geothermal spa. More than 700,000 people a year go through it. They had to first close it down November 9th because of a magnitude 4.8 quake that shook everybody awake in the middle of the night. The A local cab driver says there was a panic situation. People thought a volcanic eruption was about to happen. The hot spot in this area have, has been experiencing small earthquakes every day since October 25th. So because this is happening every day and it's kind of getting greater in frequency, they think, uh, oh, you've been there, Vicky. Cool. Did you love it? Like, how was it? Did it feel good? Did you hop right in? What happened? Tell me more. Um, They say at this moment, it's not possible to determine when or where an eruption might occur. The Icelandic Meteorological Office, Civil Protection, and a team of scientists from the University of Iceland are closely monitoring this situation. They have a state of emergency declared for a town three miles from the Blue Lagoon called Grindavik. And they have evacuated the homes in the area. The residents that are in a danger zone have to leave. They say an eruption could start at any time in the next few days. So I hope the Blue Lagoon survives and that everyone is safe. People with reservations to the Blue Lagoon have been contacted and hotel guests are able to cancel or reschedule their visit. The last time this volcano erupted was in July, and it drew in a lot of tourists, apparently. When the, let's see if I can say it, Ayafialayokal volcano erupted in 2010. It was a different story. The volcanic ash spewed into the air. Remember that? That was the one, had... remember, the uh, when the other uh, week, and I said I couldn't pronounce it. 
I said that there was oh, that, that one that volcano, one? remember, that stopped uh, airplanes from flying. That was the one. Yeah. 100,000 flights had to be canceled over the course of six days because of that one. Vicky uh, says, Kim, yeah. I loved it. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. And I'm surprised you haven't been there. And, and not as a humble brag, but here you go. You've been there. Look at you. <laughs> it's it's nice. It's it's mm -hmm. it's a little swanky for my taste. Like it's kind of a tourist trap thing because it's close to the airport. So they a lot of the um you know, imagine like the 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 airport or shuttle that you take to get from the airport to Sonoma County. They kind of right. have it built in as an option to like stop there. And then the pricing for going there is ridiculous. I forget how much it was, but it's a lot of money. But it's um it's uh, kind of like surge pricing where the prices go up and down based on the, the demand and time of day. So if you go like later, like before so they close, like a, it'll be cheaper. A, par a park where they you have to pay to get into the It's the like pool? a spa. It's like a spa. Oh. Like Vicky was saying, you have to like wash off before you go in. And then you go in. And the funny thing is that whole area, it's like in, they've got this like um, magical like silicon. Like it's like a it's a sand kind of like paste that you can put on your skin, on your face and whatnot. Um, right. And then you read the like the history of the whole thing that the, they created this out of like the the weight not waste as in dirty water but the water from a thermal energy project nearby. So it's kind of oh. like the like you know how you have like piling pools like pools. They Wait, kind of is, like it that, is it is it that color blue because it's radioactive? What's no, happening? it's like it's like a healthy thing, but it's it's okay. funny that it was like excess. It's like where the water would drain to, and they're like, oh, let's turn it into a resort and you know make it a magical thing for tourists. So was, that's inventive and smart. Um, well, but yeah, cool. it's really it's really nice. I would only do it once. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully I'll get the chance to do it. I hope that the whole thing isn't covered in la hot lava. <laughs> hot lava, hot lava. Nice <laughs> hot like lava, it. hot lava. Okay, the ne ne next story um, is about uh, uh, affordable alternatives to travel destinations. Travel tech company Expedia has announced its list of 2024 destination dupes, places that are smart, smart alternatives to top tourist destinations that are often cheaper and less crowded. Right. So um, here's the top 10 list. Uh, Paros, Greece, uh, instead of Santorini. Perth, Australia, instead of Sydney. Liverpool, uh, instead of London. I loved Liverpool, but I, I don't think it can stand in for London. Um, Palermo for Lisbon. Um, Curaçao, that's the, uh, the beach you're seeing right here, Curaçao, instead of St. Mar Martin or Martin. Um, Quebec City, Canada, instead of Geneva, Switzerland. Memphis, Tennessee, instead of Nashville. Yeah, I don't think that works either. I've been to Memphis. No offense, uh, Elvis. Uh, Pattaya, Thailand, instead of Bangkok. Taipei, instead of Seoul, South Korea. That one works. Um, and Sapporo, instead of Zermatt, Switzerland. Um, so yeah, if you can't afford to, uh, if you can't afford to go to all those top spots, there, you know, there are alternatives all over the world um lots of nice places all you got to do is a little bit of research right yeah if i can save a little bit of money and still have a lovely time dipping my feet in the sea beautiful yeah Love but it. the problem is that this list is out and now everyone's booking up these spots so yeah. <laughs> uh, if you head over to uh expedia they have that list and it's also on cnn's in cnn's travel section um i thought well, that was pretty cool I love these stories where it's a really good map, a fun map where you can see uh, exactly which state likes which kind of pie. You know, oh, that was of... Travel Tuesday, though, by the way. Travel oh, Tuesday, that, that was Travel Tuesday. Thanks for stopping by for our travel news. Travel Tuesday. Peace out, y'all. <laughs> this is kind of a travel story, though. We're traveling across the United States in search of what Thanksgiving Day pie is the most favorite? So you're like Guy Fieri right now. Yeah, kind Guy, of. Guy Fieri, uh, sorry. Fieri. Guy Fieri, yeah. 
Um, and this is a story that has de uh, divided the pies into red for fruit pie, uh, green for custard pies, yellow for savory pies, and blue for chocolates and nuts. There's only one that has uh, gray for other, and that is the shoe fly pie, which is, I, is not considered under any of those categories. But it's interesting to look at the map and uh, see if I can get this. My, oh, no, I don't think I, I got it coming. Right. I didn't realize there was a map, but yeah, it's it a right cool now. looking map. Let me see if I can share the screen. It is. It's a cool map. And I think it's cool because you can see what most of America is interested in. Oh, that's is that perfect? That's perfect. OK, you can see California. We, we go for the custard pie. They consider pumpkin pie a custard pie. All right. And key lime pie, also a custard pie and popular in many of the states. Pumpkin pie, cream pie, banana cream pie. Those are all the greens. The fruit pies, like the cherry pie, uh, the apple pie, those are all the reds. The yellows are the savory pie, like the tamale pie, that type of thing. And Cherry then, pie for Thanksgiving? I don't think I've ever heard of that. Some people like it. Raspberry pie. Some A lot of people like berry pies the best. And then the chocolate or pecan pie, the nut or chocolate pies are the blue. So I'm not anti-berry pie. I'm just thinking no, for, Thanksgiving, for Thanksgiving. It doesn't seem very on brand. Well, you're very California if pumpkin pie is what you selected because that's where California rolls with that. I don't think Costco gave us a choice. No. Costco's like, you'll take the pumpkin or that's it. And then other, you can see this one, one does the shoe fly pie. And I had to look up what is shoe fly pie, right? What state is that? Is that Ohio? Looking? The gray one. Oh, that's that Pennsylvania. Ohio? Pennsylvania, my bad. So now you Jesus know. Jesus Christ, we're uh, going to do state geography. State okay. geography, I'm going to fail it, yeah. Jesus shoe Christ. fly pie, I had to look up what is that. And it has... I don't know what it is. It's it's um, crumb cake baked in a pie crust, molasses, brown sugar, and water. Yeah, I don't know what that is. Shoe fly pie. Apparently, it's very popular in Pennsylvania. Is what What's they like that one? Is it D.C. or Maryland? Ban Banafee pie? Oh, I don't know what Banafee pie is. Apparently, it's a fruit because it's red, right? Uh, no, that's the coconut pie. It's a yellow or oh, no, it's green. They say it's green. So I think it's for Washington D.C. It doesn't show up there, but uh, on the it's a, on the right hand side, it says banana. Is that a is that a cream pie? Yeah, I guess or it's it's custard pie because it's green. Hmm. We'll have to I look into that. You, we'll have to do some research. How do you research. spell banafi? B a n n o f f e e banafi we'll pie. Let's look it up. I've never heard of it. Graham cracker all my life. crust, sweet dolce de leche. Oh, oh that slick, sounds delicious. Thick slices of fresh banana. Oh. Uh, yeah. And uh, billowy whipped cream. It looks good. Oh, that looks really good. I mean, I don't, that, I think pump, if you don't have pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving, it just doesn't work for me. Pumpkin You're an pie is like. Basically. <laughs> exactly. It's un-American if you don't have pumpkin pie on Thanksgiving. However, I could be interested in some Banafee pie. That's what it looks like. So that's pretty good. Yeah. That's delicious. Mm. All right. Yeah, that looks um, very... They, uh, they have another map on this site where they've, they've mm. done potato dishes. 
Sorry, I'm like, still on the banana feed pie. Are you still? So it's about what um, what potato dishes do you eat on Thanksgiving? And so some people, some states, baked potatoes are popular on Thanksgiving. What? Like in, te- in Texas. Yeah, they do baked potatoes. Who are these people? You have I, that year round. Un American. It's ridiculous. Um, in California, it's potato tacos. Does it say potato tacos? What? No. I, that's what it says. Mm-hmm. I've never even heard of that. That's not a California thing. Potato tacos for Thanksgiving. <laughs> yeah. Who are these people? Uniquely search potato dishes by state. How can it be the month. most popular if I've never even heard of it? Have potato you heard of that? Potato tacos, highly searched in California. I'm just saying. Yeah, highly yep. searched for what that. <laughs> Potatoes au gratin, that's kind of common, though. Almost potatoes, heavily searched in Nevada. Have you ever been to a Thanksgiving where it wasn't mashed potatoes? No. At least the primary potato was mashed potatoes? But listen, if these if people are searching for this, then this is that what's going to That doesn't mean most served. people. Are, they're not saying it's most people, are they? Mm, they're going to serve I was it. Kind of, I was distracted no. by the Banafee pie. The Banafee, yeah, Banafee pie looks good. Sma- smashed potatoes, I think that's the same as mashed, isn't it? Anyway, maybe they're not um, a lot of alternatives to the mashed potatoes this year at Thanksgiving. Um, Heather says, I don't get the appeal of potatoes. They're so boring. As somebody of Irish descent, I'm offended. (laughs) Sorry, Heather. How dare you? Well, and somebody worked at McDonald's. Her name is Heather Kennedy. So, you know. Yeah. What's going on there? Yeah. Why do you hate your own people's food? I do like uh, mashed potatoes. That's my favorite on Thanksgiving, yeah. Heather. All right. Um, let's move on to uh, what is going on with scientists warning of parents overusing melatonin. Are people yeah, taking too so much of it? Maybe you're not giving your kids enough Thanksgiving Day pie for them to fall asleep. Mm. So you're uh, trying to go for the melatonin. Now, we talked about melatonin. A lot of times it's it's you know, listed as a hormone. Uh, it's not technically a hormone, but, you know, it's like hormone adjacent. So wait, people are giving it to their kids? Yeah. Nearly oh. one in five kids and preteens in the U.S. take the hormone to aid their sleep. And um, can I just say, before you say it, no. that just sounds so stupid. <laughs> Many parents regularly give it to their preschool-aged children. You're messing with your child's brain. Like, ugh. This has concerned scientists, according to a new paper in the in JAMA, yeah, JAMA Pediatrics, mm. as melatonin product safety and efficacy data is scarce. They often don't you care about your kids? Oh, there's no data. Let's just try it. My kids, my kids being annoying. It's either that or a shot of whiskey, and I'm out of whiskey. Um, all of a sudden, in 2022, we start noticing a lot of parents telling us that their healthy child was regularly uh, regularly taking melatonin, uh, according to a sleep study. Um, researcher, she told Newsweek that parents should aim to limit screen time before bedtime. Oh, right. wow. Really? Wow. Melatonin is naturally produced by the body and regulates the sweet sleep-wake cycle. Why would you want to mess with the natural function mm, of the body what, of a child that's still developing? What's going on with your kid why they can't sleep, right? Like, what's yeah. the real problem here? Um, and you're... you're you're interfering with the natural cycle of how much because it's released at night, right? And if you start loading them up with it, then your you know their body potentially is not going to make enough, right? Synthetic versions of the hormone can be taken as a supplement. Obviously, uh, in the U.S., melatonin can be bought over the counter, sometimes in gummy form. While in other countries, it can be only obtained using a pr- prescription. 
um, in a survey of, I th- maybe it needs to be at this point, in a survey of 1,000 parents conducted in the first half of 2023, the researchers found that 18.5% of parents of children's age 5 to 9 had given their kids melatonin in the last month. Wow. Even teenagers, 19.4% of parents of preteens, this is preteens, 10 to 13, had given their children the hormone in the prior month, and while 6% of preschooler parents had done the same. Ah, can we take their kids away? <laughs> no. My only well, one who thinks that's like I reckless. If, I don't know if is, it warrants that, but. Isn't that reckless? I'm joking, but I mean, isn't that reckless? I, I think don't that's think reckless. I don't know how much it hurts them. But I just think there's probably other things to look at before you start giving kids pills. That's all. Well, and it's one thing to give them like Tylenol or whatever, but something that could change their, you know, the levels of hormones and things that can affect their development. Mm -mm. Come on, use your common sense. Obviously, you don't have any, but. Miss Organic says, I've known parents who have done that. Uh, Mario says, looks like people are consulting Dr. Google again. Yep. Yeah, well, consult Dr. Google. Organic says, come on, why give melatonin? Just give that baby a Valium. Shaking my head. Mm -mm. Yeah, Google um, Child Protective Services. Unfortunately, (laughs) a lot of people don't know the difference between supplements and real medicine. And Square writes, dissolving melatonin tabs 15 minutes before bed. Ah, but every day is okay? Mm, For an adult, maybe. Not for a developing child. There's so many yeah. things that you're, the kids are in a hormonal bath, right? And the, before they even yeah. get to um, puberty, you're, you're potentially going to mess with the, the way that their body functions that early in life. Like, it's just it's so stupid. Anyway, yeah, I said my piece. It is reckless. Yeah, I haven't done that, but I haven't needed to. I, I don't know what I would do if I had a child that couldn't sleep and that maybe was anxious and tossing and turning. You just give them a look. Know. Go to bed, brat. Go to bed. No, I mean, <laughs> I guess you lay with them and you pet their head and you try to rock them and give them maybe warm milk or a warm shower. I don't know. I don't know. Um, okay. Let us move on. Onward. Onward ho. Where we discuss vending, <laughs> vending machines on store shelves. So here is what could be the store of the future. Coming right now. To a Walgreens near you. You've got people scooping into CVS and Walgreens and running out with bags full of stuff. The retail theft is outrageous, and it's causing stores to close everywhere. So one Bay Area innovator who had a vending machine business thought, I bet if I could turn a shelf in a store into a vending machine style that I could then, you could have the store open, but prevent theft. So here is how it works. And it's really interesting. Uh, it is, you go in and you you can either prepay or pay at the end. But you put in, I think you have to prepay. You you put in what it needs and this robot goes and takes the item yeah, that you want. Yeah, because if you don't prepay, a thief could just then go in and theft, press the button. Although yeah. you can only get one of them. So, and then it puts it on a conveyor belt. And then you pick it up off the conveyor belt. Now, these little store shelf vending units aren't in every shelf. The The innovator, the person who has designed it all, says maybe five stores, uh, five aisles out of 80, you know, out of 80 shelves, he might envision this in five. Like, they, there are certain items that are more often stolen from drugstores yeah. so those are the shelves where you that would are expensive, have the, like razor razor blades like right all that type of stuff so uh, kim's thinking the way i'm thinking we've had all these stories of um of people stealing atms especially in, yeah. in the city 
Yeah, now they're going to come in and just like yank the whole uh, the whole aisle. Mm. Tie it up with a chain. God, I guess there's always something, huh? Well, they're hoping this new technology could come to stores and ease uh, the thefts, but while still giving customers access to things that they need. And Can you imagine so... shopping like this and then like the items like dangling there and it won't fall? You're like banging on it like the, <laughs> like a soda vending machine. This guy's name is David Ashforth. He's from Sebastopol. Oh, he said, I had to find... Seen Apple. Yeah, look at that. He said, uh, this is did his company's called Digital Media Vending International. So he's got vending machines in, in hotels and in airports and all over the place. So this vending machine idea, he said, my machine could fit right there. I wouldn't have to find a manager with a key anymore to come unlock a shelf to let me have the thing that I want. Uh, my machine, he said, could fit right there. His company is investing in new shelving for stores. A huge How long before the machines like malfunction? And then they're like, sorry, we can't <laughs> sell anything in aisle two. The it's machine's our machine's down. broken. Vending machine's yeah. gone. I don't know. He calls it an automated retailer. The merchandise would still be stocked safely behind glass. Honest shoppers would get self-service access, which is faster than waiting for a manager to come unlock something. And the machine delivers products in real time instantly. So it prints you a receipt or a pickup code. Then you punch in your pickup code. This then a robot activates the robot arm. And the grappling hook. They get it. Get the plush toy. Uh, 15 seconds or so. It fetches your item. It delivers your merchandise. No waiting, no stealing, nothing. Because of the smash and grabs and people just bash in the glass, he was asked that some people would like the, the glass to be bulletproof so that you can't smash it or beat it that smash it, would be it very, with your iron with your rod. iron no don't do that uh by the way yeah, you can say like more button. than 10 percent that way you could click the like button and if you could click the subscribe button if you haven't already we'd really appreciate it i've been remiss in telling you that so oh yeah and if you, you want to share the show like. on facebook yeah. that would really help that's so a non sequitur but i would appreciate that these <laughs> modular machines cost tens of thousands of dollars each uh but it's worth it because the stores are losing a lot more money than that so $94 billion stores lost in 2021, $112 billion in 2022. And this is across um, many stores, the newest data from the National Retail Federation. And they say retailers are asking for help. They're looking for new innovative ideas. So maybe the vending machine shelf is exactly what we need to have. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. Well, that's that been an it? hour. It's yeah. Oh, wow. Man. That's surprising. That flew by. Wow. It did fly by. Well, we have a lot of great stories again for you tomorrow on the After Party Live. Thank you for clicking the like button and the subscribe button. Thank you, Doug, for the $10 super sticker. Anonymous for the $10 super sticker. Uh, we appreciate you guys. Your new contributors, your ongoing contributors as well, John Daly. New contributors, Sue Allen, H, thank yeah. you. <laughs> ongoing contributors, Rachel C, Donald S, and Square. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for hanging out with us for an hour. We'll be with you again tomorrow on the After Party Live. Have a good afternoon, everyone. Bye, John. Bye.